What is my purpose? You pass butter. Oh my god. Yeah, welcome to the club, pal. Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Thanks, Noob Noob. This guy gets it. Hey, everybody, this is your good friend, the safety doc, Dr. David Broden, from down here in the North Star Recording Studio, where it is a brisk 62 degrees at the moment. Southern Wisconsin, this is what it's like for spring, folks, and it's only going to be in the 50s for the upcoming week. This episode is the return of the Mac. Now, I did some (laughs) walk-up music on episode 132, but that got flagged by YouTube, and I had to cut it out. So I can't do Mark Morrison's return of the Mac, but he's here. <laughs> Charles Mack, Chuck Mack from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center from Pittsburgh, who's going to give us face validity, is on the show. We'll get to Mac in just a second. Let's do a shout out to some of the friends of the show. One, Aaron Clary in the Clary podcast. Check out Aaron Clary, captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. Many publications. He worked um, with Vince Barrick on the Millennials, um, a new book that's out, so you can check that out. Um, Aaron Clary, hey, if you're in the Chicago area or you just need a qualified, competent, good CPA, our friend Chad Elkins. Chad Elkins, CPA, hey, you can check out Chad Elkins in the Chicago area. This show is syndicated by the 405 Media out of Los Angeles, California. Check out the Safety Doc podcast on the 405media.com. It's the League of Extraordinary Podcasters. You'll also find our good friend Aaron Clary on the 405 Media. And, hey, there's every reason to promote it and every reason for you to buy it. My book, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America. This is hardback. This is hard copy. 204 pages. It's about chaos theory. It's a great book to read right now. You can buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, places that sell books, right? 30 bucks. It's less than Kindle. The first chapter, how thinking about a bagel can get you through the worst day of your life. Chapters on transitioning into chaos. I worked with the best of the best to put it together, and you can get it for only 30 bucks. It's a great read, folks, especially right now in this pandemic world when everybody's trying to make sense in chaos. We talk about people making sense in chaos. We're bringing our good friend Chuck Mack on the show live from Pittsburgh. Chuck, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. I don't think I'm creating chaos. There's enough around that I don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about me. There's enough around. Um, so Chuck was was on an earlier episode, and here's something um, that I want to share. Chuck has been one of my face uh, validity check-ins, one of my member checks. So when all this crazy stuff really started to hit with the coronavirus, maybe around you know March 15th, Um, Chuck and I would communicate on pretty much a daily basis. And I'd say, what's different today by you uh, versus yesterday? And he would report some things like, you know, there's some scaling up in the medical sector. People are moving out of the colleges, you know, and whatever. And that's so important, right, to do face validity. And I had my network of people all over the world that I was checking in on. People are saying, yeah, today we're having to wear a mask if we go in the grocery store. Or today the postal carrier was wearing or had gloves on when it was 
delivering mail and stuff like that. So trying to find out what is happening in the world. It's when you can say, I observed versus I think. That's face validity. And Chuck was awesome with that. He was giving me updates all the time, uh, really helping me to stay informed. He's on the East Coast. But, um, you know, Chuck is, is just really into this. Uh, he, he's really perceptive, really sharp guy. He, again, it was on an earlier show. Uh, we talked about a lot of things from from side hustles to uh, as far as technology, knowing um, what you should know about technology as far as what your employers have access to, uh, when you're employed, when you're after you separate employment, things like that. But today, um, Chuck and I are going to talk about a few things. Um, one is what it was like for him working as a technology professional at the University of Pittsburgh Medical when this all started to unfold. Uh, what information was he getting? What was he asked to do? Um, we're also going to talk about the, Chuck was given papers, essential worker papers. So he he would display these if he was pulled over by the police. Why are you out here, Chuck? And, he, you know, basically from his employer, I'm, I'm deemed essential. I need to be at my job. Um, also, Chuck had some really cool stuff with uh, GIS mapping coming off of his phone in the Pittsburgh area saying, here are geographic hotspots for COVID. So you might want to avoid these if you're driving around town or at least roll up your windows, I guess. But, uh, and, you know, we're also going to have a, a discussion on, on his uh, perception of what it looks like for the economy in Pittsburgh and how he sees that kind of rolling out uh, into the future. Chuck is also a small business owner on, on the side. So he can talk about um, what he you know, what, what he's perceiving for his business, what he thinks a business model needs to look like in the future to even, you know, be viable. So Chuck, first tell us about yourself, man. You're Chuck Mack. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's that impressive, but, um, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the sports store has been shut down for the immediate future. Uh, I'm, I have two sets of auctions going this week just to liquidate some inventory, but, I don't see me opening up till July. All right. Any Kirby pocket uh, jerseys that you have hanging around? Um, they should be coming in the mail, the ones I showed you. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, I'm lucky that it's just something on the side. And, you know, what about the what good, uh, the old sports car stores, you know? Yeah. You know, what, you know. It's a it's a uh, it's a luxury item. Any kind of memorabilia, you name it. It's not a necessity. I'm not a gas station. Um, but you know why keep stuff up if I'm not going to sell? That's the bottom line. So I I want to take a few months to see how this shakes up. You know I would say by July, and and go from there. I just don't know where it's going to go from here. So I'm playing it safe, and I still have you know my regular nine to five, which is turning into a uh, 10 to 6 and 11 to 7 with everything yeah. going on. And you're on call a lot too. So, well, let's get into that. What is, tell everybody, you know, what, what work you do, what, what fields you're in and, and, um, and then we'll get into picking this apart from, you know, kind of like maybe around the middle of May when all of this started to cascade with the coronavirus. But yeah. So what do you, what do you do, Chuck? Um, I do IT work at uh, the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. It is a uh, U.S. News top 15 hospital in the country. Um, very prestigious. Um, we work in their flagship hospitals, uh, Presbyterian, uh, Montefiore, uh, Shadyside, and there's a uh, 
psych hospital attached to our group. So our job is to make sure every computer on the units or in administrative areas um, don't go down. If they go down, we have to troubleshoot, you know, repair and replace. So we're very, we're boots on the ground, you know, we're that link between the computer and the end user. And we do our best to try to keep as much up as possible. So, so let me let me take this back to um, you know, let's say right around March fifteenth, uh, and and to put that in context for everybody, March around March fifteenth was when you know we were just informed that the NCAA wouldn't be having a Final Four you know tournament. There wouldn't be a sixty-four team tournament. I guess um, the NBA had just shut down. Disney had just shut down. So it was like right then. Um, but w- what was happening in your world from University of Pittsburgh Medical, uh, wh- what were, you know, what were they telling you? What were, um, you know, the people you work with, your superiors saying, hey, you know, Chuck, here's what we need you to do. Well, uh, first it was, you know, I remember watching the ACC tournament and they, I think it was the ACC tournament, the ACC, they shut the game down right. at halftime, right. halftime. Maybe we get to finish the game. They're like, oh, well, it was like, well, what are we going to do? The prior day, you know, the days prior, think about that, when all the conference tournaments were starting in basketball. And it was like, well, what are we doing? They played it by ear, and all of a sudden, it just got shut. <laughs> I didn't hear any decree, or it just it just happened. Right. And around that time, um, I work in, we only have all the hospitals in our neighborhood. It's the Oakland section of Pittsburgh. Um, we have uh, three colleges there, too. We have a uh, University of Pittsburgh Carnegie Mellon University and a little um, and, a, and a smaller school uh, near uh, Duquesne University, which is downtown. So okay. it was the ball started rolling then, you know, it was around spring break time. So, you know, half the kids were gone and it was, what do we do when they come back? And they said, <laughs> and the ultimate decision was a snap one. Don't. Right. I have to go on call. The um, They were supposed to be out Thursday night and I went on call Friday and I got paged in for something on Saturday morning. It was a ghost town. I'd never seen somewhere evacuated. Unbelievable. Quickly. I think I might've uh, texted you some, do you, do you, do you see what's happening? Yeah. Uh, you did. Pictures with it. Uh, it. It is, it's busy. It's almost like a downtown. It's a, you know, you got three, you know, three colleges in the same area plus four hospitals. And one right down the road too. Um, there's a lot of foot traffic, a lot of a lot of pedestrians going, a lot of you know buses and you name it. All of a sudden, wow. that's it. It was it was sudden, and it was it was kind of like, what? something smashing into a wall. You know, right. it was sudden, and then it was pull back and more of reactionary to that hey, let's shut down. There was no, you can sense it coming, but it wasn't like a, you know, oh, wow, it just happened. Now what? You, you look around and go, all right, well, what's going on? So how did you feel about that? I mean, because you sent me the pictures, and I remember, like, it was nothing. It was, I mean, it was these huge buildings and just nobody's around, and you said this is usually, yeah, a busy downtown type of atmosphere. So what were you feeling? I mean, what was your... Um, I, I guess your face validity, you're seeing this, you're like, 
God, this I've never seen this before. Um, how did you start to make sense of that? What were you starting to prepare for? You're like, oh God, this is real. Like I've got to do X, Y, and Z. Um, because yeah, at that time, like I don't know. I mean, from my perspective, I I I wasn't freaking out, but I was trying to process this information, kind of as you said, that was the smash into a wall. This this in 72 hours, we get hit with everything just fell down on us from information, university shutting down, NCAA shutting down, NBA, Disney, all of this shutting down. Um, how did, how did you handle that? And then also you're thinking here, I am university of Pittsburgh medical. What are we going to be in store for? <laughs> uh, the first thing I was like, how much food do I have? Who knows if they were going <laughs> to at the time, you know, who knew if they were going to completely shut everything down? I got you. No, I'm, I'm right there. I thought the same thing, Chuck. I went out literally that night um, and, and shopped. I mean, maybe at 11 o'clock, I put a list together. My wife and I took, you know, turns. She did the first round. I did the second round, built up a pantry because I said, we got to be prepared. They could shut this down for two, three weeks or more. But yeah, keep going, man. And... I, th- I think it was, I didn't see the panic buying nowhere. I, I, I always stayed out of the way. I would go to like way off convenience stores to find like a bottle, you know, a can of Lysol or, right. you know, or go to like a little Dollar General. I'm not going to Walmart, Costco, you know, all these big box stores when all oh, this is going on. It's, it looks to be chaos, you know, and, and I, I consciously avoided that. Um, gasoline, um, I take public transit in. Uh, so it was like, well, what am I going to, yeah, I can drive in, but you know, you know, I didn't have a lease or a parking spot, things like that, just practical stuff, because my day to day in terms of being able to go into work and everything and being on call, I didn't change. And that, I knew it wasn't going to change. Just, I work, I work in hospitals. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they're going to need us and, uh, we'll delve further into that, but those were Initially, you know, just seeing what was happening was like, all right, I got to see what I got now and what do I do next? It was, and it was, I don't know if it was instinct or it was just trying to order and make sure everything I was doing personally wouldn't, you know, would be okay, for lack of a better term, to be honest with you. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. Thanks, Noob Noob. This guy gets it. How about from a technology side? I mean, from where you're thinking, you know, I've, I've got, what am I going to be watching for? Am I going to be watching for the, the internet to possibly start, you know, blinking in and out? Do I need to start getting some battery chargers, um, you know, for my equipment? Do I, 
was there anything there that started to to worry you of 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 what if um you know because you know this better than I do and better than most people do what would be the the frailties of the I guess of of the internet that might show up if um you know suddenly there's a surge in users or you know who who knows what else happens I mean, I, yeah that was that crossed my mind briefly but okay. um in terms of being in terms of being in, a, in 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 the hospitals, um, I I would assume if there was this overwhelming increase in traffic or the you know the physical networks, you know the big trunks can't handle it, um, I would see certain prioritizations and of course the hospital be you know up there. So, gotcha. um, yeah, for for home users, yeah, there would be a worry, but you know at work, you know, the thing about you know government, you know hospitals. You know, whatever agencies, you know, local agencies, county, city, state, you know, they, I, I would assume there would be some mechanism to get like they get the lion's share of the traffic and everybody else is down to a trickle. Right. So, yeah, I, I wasn't afraid of losing the internet completely. I, I knew there was a chance that I wouldn't be able to do, you know, be at home and have internet. But, yeah, that's that's way I, that's the way I saw it, I think. So, so what, what started to happen at work? Maybe tell me about the first meeting, you know, where, where, you know, you were brought into and they're like, listen, we need to start preparing, um, in case we have an influx of, of patients. So this is what we need. Here's what our infrastructure looks like, which, you know, right. But here's what we need it to look like in 72 hours or something like that. So, so yeah, walk us through some of those first meetings that you had when people are coming in and saying, Here's what we might be in store for, and you've got to prepare for it, Chuck. Oh, I was on a call the weekend that all started. Um, so it was, they wanted to make, you know, triage rooms. Where are we going to bring people outside of the ER? Where's there a place in the hospital we can throw one up? Uh, what are wiring, electrical, plumbing? Um, basic infrastructure, and then it would be just like, a, like an ER unit. All the technology will be in place. As it was with computers and printers and you know medical devices, and we have we have in, we have spares in stock. All right, we'll use our spares and and however they want to set up, just like an ER, we would. And and the that's when the uh, the whole tele you know telemedicine yeah things you know, it was like all right, well we get these triage places in, but let's you know what are the next steps? So. It was it was a quick meeting and it, and they threw it up within a few days. They you know they got the they got the, the network connectivity. They got power, everything you would need to run a functioning ER. Uh, they pulled it off in about a week to ten days, just quick. Because we knew they knew they had time at the time. It wasn't okay. much time, but um, compared to other places, you know they had they had time to get things up. So was it just University of Pittsburgh Medical that was involved in this, or was it taking over some other buildings that were nearby, or or, or planning for contingencies of we're going to take over this dorm or this? There um, were thoughts. There were thoughts, but it would be more for if we need to keep staff, or staff can't make it home. They would uh, they would have converted a couple of the University of Pittsburgh dorms into like living quarters. Okay. Yeah. So that was talked about i don't know how realistic that would have been but i'm sure if things got to the point where it would have hit them 
more than they can handle. Yeah, that plan may have come in place. I don't know. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure other hospitals around the country are like, well, we got to do similar things. In terms of, you know, what about staffing? What about, you know, can we get our staff to and from work? So I'm sure there was a lot of talk about, yeah, we'll accommodate some buildings. But fortunately, it hasn't happened. And I don't, I don't think we're going to get to that point. Yeah, it, it seems, okay, so right now in Wisconsin, in the last week, they, they have basically idle plans to um, take the State Fair Park in Milwaukee and, and put up temporary uh, medical facilities with the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, in Madison, Wisconsin, near me, the Alliance Energy Center, which is like an 11,000-seat arena plus a big exhibition hall, they were going to uh, make that into a medical facility they've since iced those plans so kind of what you're saying you know i'm seeing also like these plans um to expand out the medical capacity of if either idle or just been put on hold for now for now right because we don't know what'll happen maybe in fall i think maybe this first wave might be through but um so you know i would i would check in with you and 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 say what's different today than yesterday and, and you were sharing you know we're, we're scaling up we're getting more capacity to do things but we're not seeing necessarily an increase in people needing our services like patients and in other facilities with overflow um so the, this was this was when you shared this with me this was a turning point in my face validity you were given essential worker papers right you had a paper you were given from your employer um and tell me, I guess, when your employer gave this to you, what the direction was. Are you supposed to show this to police? Are you supposed to show this to somebody else? It basically indicated, right, that you, you're an essential employee. You're critical to the operation of the University of Pittsburgh Medical. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, when you shared that with me, to me, that, that brought it up to a whole new level of, I guess, uh, seriousness of what was happening. So how did that happen you know, how did that happen, Chuck? Did they bring you in and they said, here it is. If the police pull you over on your way to work, show this or keep this in your dashboard. I don't know. What? This happened uh, late March is when everybody started officially states, you know, were officially shutting down. And what was happening were, was that we've, we've had, we had a few employees get pulled over and the cops were like, well, what are you doing on the road? And so after a few of those, they, uh, enough complaints got to management where they sent every employee an email, here, print this out and keep it in your car. Uh, just so you have a reason. You can say, hey, look, you know, I'm an essential worker. <laughs> I'm working at a hospital. Right. I need to get there. So you would just the letter. It almost, it's almost like, uh, you know, showing identity papers and like, you know, some <laughs> back in the 30s. Well, it is. It, it was and, really weird, man. And it's like, I mean, at the time, you're like, I understand, and there's other things going on. But to me, I was like, I got to keep this in my car and, and show my work. I get identification, too, like your badge. It it was disconcerting, but you know, luckily, it hasn't happened to me. So I guess when that happened to you, okay, um, what did you also do in your personal life where – I guess this was this kind of um, resonating through you of like, oh my God, this has moved to a different level. Like I never thought I would be given basically these essential papers, right? That I might have to show and that some of my coworkers are getting pulled over on their way to work. How did that change how you operate it? Um, just as, as you, as Chuck Mack. And then also 
I mean, were you contacting your relatives more? Were you contacting? I know you and I were in contact, uh, contacting other people and saying, what's happening to you out in California? What's happening to you in Utah to try to figure out is, is this everywhere? Is it just here? What's the next shoe to fall? Um, cause to me, I mean that, uh, yeah, when that information got to me, I was like, whoa. Um, yeah. I, and I think it's eased back since then, but at that moment I'm thinking like, even if I drive to the next town over to get something that I need for, you know, home improvement, am I going to get pulled over? And if I am, am I going to get told to go back home? And, um, I, it really seemed dystopian. It really seemed freaky. Um, but yeah, so yeah, share that with us. No, I, I mean, I would I would keep tabs on what happened, what's happening nationally, but I'm more concerned about what's going on in my sphere, you know, just because things were changing quickly. But it luckily, I have a fairly dull routine, especially in wintertime. I can't go to the gym. They close all those down. Right. <laughs> so it was either, you know, it's working home and get gas and go to the grocery store. So I, I wasn't, you know, doing any innocuous you know, anything, you know, I was out of the ordinary. I just was, you know, mundane. It didn't change for me except I had to keep some extra things on. And to this day, I wear my lanyard anywhere. I go out, I throw it on just to say, hey, look. (laughs) That's my little safety blanket, so to speak. So if something happens, you say, hey, look, I just need need to get gas, man. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because one thing I do now is I carry my wallet everywhere I go, even if it's um, a walk. If I'm just going out for an hour to to get in a walk around my town, I wouldn't normally do that before. I would, you know, I, I wouldn't carry my wallet, but now I do. Wherever I go, I always have my wallet because I figure, I don't know if I'm stopped <laughs> for some reason because of whatever to be able to show ID or I, I just... And I guess it's easing a little bit now, but yeah, I was really, um, and I, I was, I, I wouldn't leave the house unless I had my keys, my wallet and some early on, even, um, a battery pack, a small battery pack so I could charge my phone up. And, and that's just kind of where my thinking was, but wow. Um, so, so Chuck, tell us, uh, tell us again, how, I guess how this started to unfold. How about people at work? Did you have anybody you worked with who kind of lost it, who who couldn't process it or, or really struggled? And it just, I mean, um, how, how did that go down? You know, with the people you worked with, how were they processing this? I didn't see any panic. Uh, maybe it's just me not sensing it. I think people over time are like, well, you know, we're here, but, um, the next, the, our next goal was to get as many people out as possible. You know, how many okay. people could telecommute? So how do we get equipment into these people's hands? You know, what are some tools we can use for, you know, them to be at home yet still be online and working? So I, over probably a course of not even three weeks, tens of thousands of employees, they managed to get working from home. That's unreal, man. And it was a it was a huge feat, and yeah, and it, it's it went fairly smooth. I don't know if there was a plan that I didn't know of that said right. hey, we can do this. No, but there's there's some technologies 
um, uh, within enterprise environments where you can do remote work. You know, okay. It's been around. It's it, it's been around for you know, who knows how long. I remember the whole telecommute? Yeah, let me go. Let me telecommute back in the uh, what late '90s, early aughts. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, telecommute. But now with everything under the sun, Skype, uh, Microsoft Teams, Google, you know, Hangouts, whatever. I mean. The people who don't need to be there, you know, let's keep them out of let's keep them out of ground zero. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what okay. though. Uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt. It no, was no. Uh, it was it was different. Uh, you're when I go on call and I get paged over the weekend. Yeah. You, you it figure it's like light traffic or whatever. But once we got everybody working from home as possible, it was you know it looked like a weekday was like. I'm why I'm here on like a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. It was a money. It was a big effort. You know, we, we help support once people get, once people were able to get, you know, situated with work from home. We, we, there, we set up a team. We broke up, um, all of our PC support and we said, Hey guys, you know, you guys focus on the work from home people and just, you get to work from home too. Just, you know, focus on the people working from home. And then we had the rest of us who, you know, stayed in. They, were, they tried to get some sort of rotation with our teams where, you know, it would be like two weeks on, two weeks off. But another thing I thought was uh, it, it, it didn't split. You know, it, the rotation broke. Within our team, we had half the people, hey, I want to work from home. Yeah, I'll take care of uh, remote users. And the other half was like, you know what, I'm not going to be cooped up. That was me. I didn't want to be. I don't want to be cooped up. I, you know, I, 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 I'd probably go stir crazy. Right. Um, being, a, it's been what? It is. It's just May. So think about probably what six weeks of that stuff. I yeah. would, I, I would be a rough guesstimate. Six weeks. Oh. So it, another. It's to me psychologically just going to be able to go to work. It, it just like you know it, it helps break up the day. I remember, I, you know, I, you know, my parents were retired, and my mom calls. This is three weeks in. She's like, I don't know what to do anymore. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. we can't go anywhere. I, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> no, and, man, you're right. I'm not gonna be. If if I have an opportunity to get out, I will. Yeah, I mean, it it sounds selfish, but it worked out. More people were comfortable working from home. Half my team is doing that. And I'm, I'll be boots on the ground, you know. It's coming anyway. So uh, as long as I can, you know, keep some semblance of normalcy, which was big to me. Right. It was, it was big. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it, I'm glad things shaked out the way they did. Even though they had this all this grandiose plan and, yeah, we'll rotate everybody, but nah. <laughs> no. No, I, I get it. So if somebody... Um okay, somebody's working from home or they anticipate that they might be working from home in fall. Like they, maybe they're going to come back to a work environment. Let's just kind of broaden this out to a macro perspective. Um, what would you recommend to people who could potentially be told by their employer, Hey, you know, we want you to work at home for the next six months and they're not kind of ready for it. Right. So what would you tell them as far as like um, what equipment they should have? Is there a certain router they should be investing in now? Are there certain skills they should be picking up just to make that transition easier um, for them? 
And my question, I think, is a little bit leading because I anticipate, you know, we'll start back with in-person stuff, which we've already started to see, see to some extent, right? But I think in fall, we're going to have another, you know, shutdown, a country nationwide shutdown. That would just be my anticipation. So um, from what you know, you know, your perspective, what would you recommend to everybody listening of saying, hey, like, have this, have this maybe for your... You know, even like keyboards or monitors or Wi-Fi or whatever, or just a few things you can pick up now for some skills, which if you do end up being home for six months um, because of a second wave, this will just make your life a lot easier. So um, for everybody listening, I think everybody's like tuning in right now. They're like, yes, tell me, Chuck, what what are the things I could do or what what are the pieces of equipment I could get, which will just make things better for me? No, if you're going to do a lot of uh, working from home, um, it depends on what equipment you want. I, I couldn't see myself having a desktop. Get a nice, solid laptop. Um, your, as for internet communications, your local providers should be sufficient. I, I'm on Comcast right now, and it it's worked fine for me. I wouldn't expect, like, you know, Comcast or Verizon or any of these other and these other providers, you know, provide you with bad internet or equipment. You know, I, you know, the uh, the router I have is my cable modem. It just runs through there, and everybody okay. has the same setup. Uh, it would just be I need to get online. Uh, that will be on the company. Your company has to provide you with some sort of VPN access, um, some sort of you know instant messaging, video conferencing, where. Well, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of companies now have Microsoft Teams, and they can run Cisco right. VPNs. They can get there. It's just get a get a decent get a decent laptop. Uh, I'm an HP and Lenovo guy. Uh, this one, you're not going to spend 1,100 bucks on, but you can get a solid HP laptop for about four or five hundred bucks, brand new. I know some people that we know uh, wouldn't do that, but. Um, <laughs> if, if, <laughs> right. I know one person we know who would not spend more than 50 bucks on a laptop, but yes. Um, that, um, make sure it has a, uh, integrated camera. Most of them do. And they run at eight, they run at at least 720p. Mine does. Uh, I'm using my laptop's, uh, webcam and, um, what, uh, these 30 bucks, Logitech headphones. They're nice to keep, you know, the, the outside noises out and you can run your meetings as you know without having your kids running around saying and screaming they, you won't be able to you know hear that so you have a little bit of privacy that's essentially it and whatever job whatever job you can do remotely um it, it might it might stay permanent i don't like that fall stuff but i think unfortunately you're right it's going to be easier for them to start locking stuff down when the right. weather gets cold, we're going to see, it's going to be interesting coming up in the summer, how that's going to shake out. Then again, yeah. where we live, we're in the Midwest, you know, <laughs> technically in the Midwest. Uh, we spring hasn't been here. No, no, Chuck, I Chuck, the last two days have been 70 degrees. So that's today, it. um, today my daughter and I did a bike ride and then in the afternoon, it's like 25 mile an hour wind sustained and then gusting like 30. Uh, we, we got our, a kite out that she has and we went up in back of our hospital complex which is built about 10 years ago there's big fields and she's flying this kite and and you've got to really hang on to this thing i mean the wind is pretty intense but the the way you know the winds are coming in because we're about to hit another cold streak 
of five consecutive days of 50 degree weather and rain. So as you said, yeah, our spring is really delayed here. And, and psychologically, I'm kind of worried because um, as there's something called finite voltage. Finite voltage means that people, so it, it's a term from World War II. They studied infantry men, psychiatrists studied infantry men. They embed it within these, these groups of infantry soldiers and said, after like 200 days, you were either killed, you're, you're um, taken into um, prisoner by you know your enemy or you had a mental breakdown, one of those three. But if you also look at civilian morale, there were studies on civilian morale, many civilian throughout morale studies, saying you can go about 90 days in, in a civilian population under stress of like, whether it be war or pandemic or something to that effect. After 90 days, if, if things don't change substantially, you lose it. So what would happen like during World War II is after 90 days, people, the government would say, now we're in phase four of whatever of this initiative and now we're in phase five and they would always change things up, even though like not a lot changed, but they would just get people to think it was a new phase because after 90 days, people start freaking out. So yeah, as, as you're saying, you know, like right here, things are closed, shut down in Wisconsin, I guess, until May 25th and it could be extended through our governor. Um, and we, the weather has not been good for the most part. So we've been inside. So if we don't have a break in summer and people hit fall and then fall gets to be locked down, I think psychologically, that's when people are going to really start losing it. Um, but yeah, it's, oh my God, it's. A must read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, a brave demonstration of speaking truth to power. School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is, this is our two days, Chuck. This is our two days of, of warm spring. I oh, mean, oh, we're going to be smacked up and back <laughs> to this, this crummy reality of it, it's not going to hit 60 here for like two weeks. Like, yes, I'm, I'm with you, man. <laughs> we have, so we have a wood fireplace upstairs and I burned through about 11, 11 cords of firewood a year. And I got a little extra this year. It's right on the other side of this wall, actually. Um, and I still have maybe a quarter and a half left and I've been reluctant to clean out the fireplace and kind of shut it down for the year because I just know we're going to have days coming up here in May, which is crazy, right? We're going to have May, you know, weather, which is going to be dipping down in the thirties where I'm going to have to fire up, you know, the fireplace and, and let it burn for a day because it heats part of our house. It's just insane. And so psychologically, Chuck, um, let me let me let me step through a few things you step through with me is one is they were also sending out to you on your phone there was a global information system or basically a map of the Pittsburgh Allegheny County right and and it would say here are COVID hotspots based upon what testing um, tell me what that looked like how you got informed of that and was it basically meant to say don't travel to these areas but 
how would I, I guess what was was it useful to you? Because, you know, I I'm trying to figure out, like, as I'm driving, like, this is good to know, I guess, if I'm going to go over here for gas or groceries, if this is a COVID hotspot. But on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know if this really helps me at all. So you're showing that GIS data, which is getting down pretty incremental. So anyone listening, like GIS, Global Information Systems, think about like Google Maps. So like Google Maps, you can type in your home address and it'll be, a, you can find a satellite image of like where you live. So what was happening, Chuck was sharing, out uh, is GIS data was being shared of saying certain parts of the Pittsburgh area had more dense identified COVID-19 uh, people. And, and so this was public knowledge then. So, but I guess then what did you do with the knowledge that's being shared with you? Or was it alarming? Was it alarming to other people? Did you have to like explain this to other people as they started to get this stuff of what this really means? I, I, how, I walk me through that. Yeah. Uh, it was in, it was in, uh, the web version of our local paper. Um, and, Holy and smokes. Said, yes. It was in an article and it's like, Hey, here's the uh, link for the, uh, GIS information on Allegheny County, which is, uh, you know, where Pittsburgh's located in. And, oh, it was great for a week. I looked at it, like, every day. I was like, oh, <laughs> right. look at this. I'm zooming in. Right. Oh, look at this neighborhood right here. It has this. And, it, and then after a week, the novelty wore off. I was like, yeah, everything is becoming more of more concentrated, so why even bother? Right. <laughs> I mean, it was great. It was, it was great at first, but then, you know, it just wore off. I was like, yeah, I get this. Oh, look. <laughs> Or places right. are turning blue. Can and, you imagine being a realtor, Chuck? Can you imagine? Yeah, you're trying to sell houses, and people at the same time are bringing it up, and they're like, "Yeah, no, this area, we're we're not we're not going to deal with this right now." I don't know. I'm just so so. You said it kind of had this numbing effect, right? After after a week um, of kind of like so so what, right? It was more like uh, oh, this is great little fun for a while, but I still have stuff to do. Right? You know, it's my goal is to try not to worry about what I can't control. And you're not going to control something like a virus, you know, or any, look at any plague going back the last, I don't know, thousands of years, something you really couldn't control. Um, you can, you can mitigate through your own. So I was like, Oh, this day is great until it wasn't. It, right. Oh, it's just going to keep going up. And, and you know, I'm not going to see any level going off. I, I, there are graphs and everything. There's so many, you know, you know, so many ways to get the information to begin with that it was it was like that little pinprick all right that's a little information overload you know i, I got to i know what i need to know about this thanks so so i guess yeah when, when that information is coming out so you i mean as as a technology expert that you are um i guess what did because i'm looking at that and i'm saying yeah i i guess it's kind of useful but at the same time i'm kind of like I don't know if it has any use whatsoever because, I mean, what am I supposed to do with this? Am I supposed to, like, change my whole route through town? Am I supposed to alter my shopping? But what if people aren't delivering? What if truck drivers are delivering goods to this door, which is in this hotbed area? Will it change, like, that? Are they not going to deliver to this area? Or So give me your thought on that because I, I think a lot of data like that started to come out. And when I look behind it, when I tried to figure out, I'm like, what is this really, how does this help us? I mean, versus just getting people more worried because again, I'm trying to figure out someone driving down a road and then they're like, GPS is saying COVID area, please turn left COVID area, go straight two miles to, I mean, these are the things that are kind of coming up in my mind. 
And I'm just like, why even tell people this? And not only that, Chuck, I'm wondering too, like, so imagine like you have a house or apartment building that somebody was staying in who has identified as positive COVID-19. Is this something now that becomes public information that someone can just find on a GIS search and, you know, Google map search, it can honker down to the block or the house. And how do you sell a house that's maybe somebody lived in that had COVID-19 two years ago? Um, or some people are like, I'm not going to buy this because I'm immunocompromised and stuff. I mean, all these weird things start to come into my mind. And I'm not the only one, I guess. I, other people had some of the weird thoughts, too, of like, what is this data really supposed to tell people? Because, I mean, you're intellectual, Chuck. You can figure You look at this data, it make, you can understand this. But a lot of people are just saying, oh, big blue area. Guess I'm not going there. Yeah. Well, I don't have a choice. <laughs> Right, you know, I, I I don't, and and maybe that's my own, maybe that's the situation I'm in. I don't have a choice. Am I going to quit my job? I could do the work from home thing, but do I drive myself crazy? Do I quit my job or just go with it? So I chose that go with it option, and to me, it became so what, and I just have to mitigate and do what I have to do uh, to be as safe as possible. So it. it you know, none of these numbers really have a bearing on me right now. I'm not saying they won't, but right, right. you know, right now through this whole thing, it's 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 a little nice nugget to have. Um, but you know, I, I got to deal with it anyway. And there, you know, think doctors, nurses, whoever, uh, the people that housekeeping in hospitals, right, right, the people that transport patients, the people, food service workers. You know, you have all you have all these people that are tied to it, and we're we have to be here. You know. So what what was what was the biggest um, IT challenge that that you faced? Um, was it like you know number of hotspots you could develop? Was it getting people access? Was it getting people trained? Um, yeah, tell me about the biggest the biggest IT challenge that. I mean, you're like this is. Or, or I guess what you anticipated, maybe it didn't turn out to be the biggest IT challenge, but right away up, up front, you're like, this is going to be the one that's a big mountain for us to scale. Uh, along with uh, the remote work, uh, the next big challenge, we got to ramp up telemedicine, you know, many times what, you know, the normal rate is. And there were initiatives we had, you know, we had to get whatever we could get our paws on, iPads, laptops. Yeah. Um, you know, just because you, you you know hospitals are limiting visitors, I mean, it's all you can't see. It's not like you, can't, you you know you can't see your family. So you know, iPad with FaceTime is the best way to go. And then for the doctors that you know do telemedicine, uh, we need we need to know each unit each unit throughout every hospital in the system needs to have a laptop. It has to be set up, and you know, telemedicine has to be ramped up in short order. You know, testing, acquiring equipment. That was the that was the next biggest challenge. Okay, so do you see that as um, telemedicine is kind of being like here to stay? Um, and, and, and I think I'm you know I'll lead this a little bit with anticipating that there could be a second, a third wave, and things like that. Um, do you think we we've we've pushed into this telemedicine era, like that we are officially there now, at least in the early stages of saying? Yeah, I mean, we're going to be buying more iPads, more mobile devices. We're going to be training our docs. We're going to be equipping our docs to be doing uh, nurse practitioners, whatever, telemedicine. Um, do you think 
I, I guess in the last 45 days, we've been catapulted into this, and this is um, where things are going to be going forward, that we're going to have big telemedicine components of healthcare? Yeah, the initiatives aren't going away. I mean, if you uh, if you put the inf- inf- infrastructure there already, what's the point of taking a down if it's going to be effective? And the amount of right. telemedicine visits we've had have gone up, you know, I would say, you know, five to ten times, I would think, you know, nor- what we normally have because we have the infrastructure for it. So if we invested in the infrastructure and it's working, it's not going to go away. It's, it's, I bet in the grand scheme of things, at least where I am, they're going to fold it into just normal practice. Yeah. I like, I actually like that because I, I think it was, it was time to do that. And something like this event, the coronavirus event needed to happen to move that idealized design forward. Um, so Chuck, tell me, tell me your thoughts on, um, you know, information tracking, I, I, because it's been pretty open now. Well, it was first the Israeli government was saying, Hey, we're tracking everybody's phone information. So we know where you're at. Um, and th- the second part of this comes in with, um, you know, the U S government is starting to come out more and say, we're tracking anonymous information from cell phones to, to see how many people are out and, and stuff like that. But, um, what, what's your perception on, I guess, uh, tracking, uh, people, especially people who might have, you know, COVID 2019 is, is this, and this might bring you into a little bit of a speculation range, but do you think people should just anticipate that they're going to be tracked every, every time they have their cell phone especially if they've taken a, a test at the hospital here, COVID-19 positive. Um, I guess I'll share a little bit of a lead up to that. So we have somebody in our neighborhood, uh, a family that had uh, been quarantined and the health department told them, we we're tracking you. We're, we're tracking your cellular communications, your, you know, your vehicle GPS. And there wasn't even a question. They didn't need to give a permission or anything. They just said, we're tracking you. And they also said, we're going to look forensically 14 days into your past to see where you've been. They were in another state. That's why they were quarantined here. Um, and we're going to see who, you, who you're close to, who you're interacted with, and we're going to share that data. Um, I guess I'm not trying to paint this as something as a conspiracy theory or anything that's really a, 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 a very dark, scary concept. But I guess what should people be aware of um, as far as confidentiality, privacy with cell phones, and what might have changed here in the last 45 days, the coronavirus event, and what people should should be aware of um, as, as far as like privacy, tracking. What I guess, what is the capability of, of some of that stuff? You know, they're doing it now. I mean, right. <laughs> look at this targeted ad. All right, do a little experiment. All right. Say you and I talk about just talking. We're you know in the same room and our phones are there. Let's talk about oh, I don't know. Um, I got to get my car fixed. Yeah, both of our cars are broken, so I got to get this, this, this. I need oil, you know, I need fluids. I need this. We talk about our cars for an hour. The next day, you look, you know, pull up your YouTube app on your phone, and you'll see ads. Hey, look, O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> it's happening already. I mean, it it's there. I'm not saying I'm for it, but it, the infrastructure is there already. And I, I hope 
that it doesn't come down to that. It sounds, you know, kind of Orwellian to me. Right. I'm, I'm sure they'll they would find some slick way to do it, but I, I I really hope it doesn't get to that point. So you're stuck with your two options: bring your phone with you, or you don't. Uh, there's I don't, I don't know if there's right. much to do on a personal level at this point. You want to, you could be an activist, say, hey, you can't do this. The average person can't be. Yeah, and I, 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 you know, my phone goes with me, you know, wherever I get my phone and wallet, everywhere I go, it, they go with me and that's not going to change. No, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Track me if I leave my phone at home, but it, it, you know, it's, it's a personal choice. You either do it or you don't. And I, I wish there was a different way, but I'm just seeing it realistically. You know, I'm not trying to be pie in the sky about it and, oh, liberty and you know, freedom to do this. Uh, the reality is the reality. And you just either have to, you know, deal with it. I, I wish I had better advice for people, but, you know, what are we really going to do? I, you know, it sounds kind of pessimistic in a way. Sure. But it's, it's, it's roll with the punch at this point. Although I can see there's going to be a breaking point at, at some time. I don't know. I just hope we don't have, like, entire neighborhoods up in flames coming, like, November, you know? No, right, right, yeah, and, and yeah, and I've seen the stuff on the five G towers, right, where some people in in England are torching the five G towers, yep. you know, so they're burning those up. Um, so one of so you know one of my friends was was talking about, um, so let's say like Ancestry twenty three, or, or whatever the hell these these sites are, where you can figure out you know where your ancestors came from, but. He was saying, you know what, if if all this information kind of gets fed into a, a national database, what if there's a genetic predisposition that, you know, you or I have for COVID-19 or COVID-20, whatever the new version of a pandemic is, and we get contacted by our employer and they say, yeah, listen, you need to stay at home in quarantine and we'll let you know when you can come in. But you could you could do that if you know people's genetic codes and if you figure they're predisposed, you could tell them that hey, you can't you know you can't be coming into work, you can't leave your house for six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, and it could be while everybody else is kind of doing their thing. And to me, that I mean that conversation made sense. Logically, you could see that you could see where there could be some report, and they could say, listen, yeah, your genetic code means that you're more predisposed to COVID. 20 or COVID 21. So we need you to stay home, but how do you work then? Right. How do you like, I guess you can do remote work, but what if some people can't do remote work? What if, and how do you live your life? If three months out of the year you're at home and you can't interact with other people, or if you go out in an environment, I, I guess to check, I've seen this thing where what Ford motor company, their employees wear wristbands now, where if you get within six feet of another employee, it vibrates to let you know, Hey, we're, you're not social distancing. Um, what do you see as the technology, I guess, possibilities and maybe likelihoods of those types of things coming into play? Because everybody's planning for, I guess, this whole pandemic thing. Whether we like it or not, it's where everybody's mind is right now. Everybody's mechanical engineers are designing new buildings, new designing you know, door entrances to be without contact and all of this stuff. Um, g- give me your take on where the technology might be open doors might take people might take our society in the next, I don't know, six months. Thank you for tuning in to the safety doc podcast. 
with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. Thanks, noob noob. This guy gets it. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> that's a heavy question. Uh, I said before, the technology is already there. If, if Ford's doing his brace, what's going to stop your local municipality from, hey, we bought thousands of these uh, monitors, you know, yeah, wear these and make sure you social distance. It could happen. Um, right. I, I, I hope it doesn't get to that point, but, you know, I, I can't I can't call it. I know that, you know, the technology is there if they're using it they're, you know, and it could expand it. They're, they're going to. They'll find a way it doesn't end up like this but you know, it's there you can say you know or they'll have some fine or you get fine if you don't wear your bracelet or you know something or if you're caught and do this i don't know how it's going to play out i just know the technology is there and it can probably be expanded wow hey so chuck so you're also a small business owner so um it, can you tell people some of the things that that you that you sell? Uh, I sell a lot of sports memorabilia stuff, and of course, it, um, these these frivolous things might be coming to an end. Um, I said, you know, I have my I have a couple auctions up in the next two weeks, and that's just to clear inventory. And I'm shutting down completely again. I shut down at the in the middle of March. I said I pulled the plug then. And it's getting to the point people are starting op- it's starting to open up a little bit. So I'll take my little window while I can, and I'm going to shut it down again, and, and I'll do it month by month. Um, I don't know how small businesses like uh, you know your hair places, yeah, you know, those, you know, give me your those take type on of things. that. I haven't had a haircut since I've had a haircut in over two months. I Same can't here, buddy. It. Same here. I have dry cleaning. <laughs> I, I allow a couple luxuries uh, in my life. I get my shirts dry clean, and I get haircut every nice. two weeks. So I've had I've had the same number of shirts with the dry cleaners <laughs> for you know yeah three frivolous things that you know, in the gym too. You know what about all these people who you know, work right. and they're stuck. They're you know, restaurants can skirt it. You know with all the takeout stuff. If you're a gas station or a service station, yeah, I mean you can, but what about all these little mom and pop, you know, little boutique shops, little, you know, for those people, you know, what do they do? They, they, they can't sell their wares. They can't, you know, no. you know, it's a, you're in a, I guess, luxury. I get by with me, but, you know, where my hair being cut, I'll deal with it. But, you know, those businesses that support are, you know, frivolity. Oh, I can't believe I'm calling getting my haircut frivolous. Is that <laughs> right? 
but yeah, well, those people aren't functioning, and and that's something you can't stop. You you're gonna shut all the barber shops down, you know, and try people for social distancing. Is that what it's gonna come to? I, I really hope not. I like to get my hair cut sometime in the summer. Right. But, <laughs> so what is? I guess what's closed by you, maybe on a permanent basis. Have you seen anything, you know, in, in you know, signs up or else been notified or newspapers saying, "Hey, this is permanently out of business now. Like they're not coming back." Mm, not yet. Um, I'm sure I'll see them over time. Let's see how the summer goes. But yeah, I've read stories about yeah, this business is closing. Yeah, I've read stories, but I haven't seen any. Okay. This. A lot of if you see a lot of like small businesses and these little shops, yeah, we're temporarily closed. It, it could be permanent. I don't know. I see them as temporary until they're not. <laughs> yeah, that that's the thing. I mean, like I was sharing with you uh, before we start the show, uh, we lost um, what is easily our best restaurant in the area, um, and had been around for twenty five years. And, and they just and they were open with it and just said the virus, we can't convert to a takeout model. Um, I, that's that was their perception or whatever, and and I mean they're very successful business, done, uh, theater done. Just saying, you know, we we can't make a go of it. We we don't anticipate when it starts up again that we'll be able to, you know, fill up a theater. We'll, there'll be some social distancing requirements. We're not going to make money if we're only letting ten people in a, a to see a movie. So, um, so there's things I'm starting to see just now in the last, you know couple days and i'm thinking these will change our quality of life going forward like where i live um and thankfully i live i guess in the southern part of the state where we do have redundancy in a number of these things but if you get to the northern part of my state it's very rural like it's uh you know you shut down a movie theater in the northern part of the state it could be another 50 miles you drive until you get to another one um but I'm starting to see that and I'm starting to, to make these comments of our quality of life will be degraded. Like we're not going to have the things around us, the small engine shop, the theater, the stuff like this that we had before March, those things. And people are going to be very hesitant to jump back in or maybe buy into those. So we're going to have to calibrate to this, this new normal. But, um, but yeah, it's interesting. You haven't seen that, you know, up by you, but I guess you've seen some substantial layoffs. Is it us steel have made an announcement? Uh, yeah, my former employer, U.S. Steel, um, they posted, what, a $390 million loss in the quarter. And they're starting to lay off. Nobody I knew I that I worked with directly that I still keep in touch with, they're fine for now. But I don't know how heavy industry is going to shake up because you know, heavy industry makes cans, you know, the metal for cans, right. cars, you name it. So knives and forks, you know, stuff we take for granted. And there, you know, demand is collapsing on, you know, at least on the consumption side of things. So what are producers going to do? And you're starting to see that. Um, you're starting to see the effects now. It's sort of like a, it's almost like a ripple effect. Like it didn't happen right away. March 15th, U.S. still did say, hey, we're going to lay off X amount of people. And it's, it's just happened. I think the bigger the organization, the more momentum you have to go before you say, hey, you know, mom and pop shop, small business, well, everything's shut down. They stayed ordered today. We're shutting down. Right. You know, with bigger organizations, they can they can, they can can temper the blow for, you know, for a while until 
something like this happens and it's just a natural, I don't want to say natural, this is an unnatural event, but the natural course of things is, is kind of leading that. I don't know if it's going to be a steamroll or, you know, a big snowball or what. Um, it, I guess it depends on how the course of the virus runs. But even then, what's coming back and, you know, what's not, you know, it, it's going to take a while, I, I guess. I'm no economist or anything. But after, if you're going to collapse consumption and you're going to have, what, 30 million unemployed in six weeks? Right. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while for it to recover naturally. Like, I don't I don't look at the stock market every day. You know, I don't read, you know. <laughs> so I, I, it's just, you know, what I sense, it's it's the course of, of anything. You take a big shock, it's going to take time to recover. But have we hit that end part of the shock until we can recover? I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I've, um, you know, I've heard a few uh, states be really hesitant in talking about bringing back school K-12 in fall, for example, saying, yeah, we're, we might do virtual. Like Pennsylvania is actually one of them. Connecticut, another one. Uh, a lot of universities saying we're not going to bring people back in the dorms because they don't want to deal with it if they have to shut down. Um, they don't they don't want to, to deal with that again. Um it, it, and and so yeah, these 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 massive structures, like where I'm at, I'm close to University of Madison. You know, it's 40 minutes away, and on campus, you know, that's 40,000 students who you know come in and, and populate Madison, and they're not there now. And come fall, a lot of those students aren't going to take the gamble on leaving their home and you know getting a rental contract and all of this when they might be told in October, hey, the rest of the school year is online you know, face-to-face is done. Well, I could do that just as well as home versus, you know, being here and paying my rent and, and doing other things. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I think we're in for a good one to two years of a shakeout. And it, everybody's kind of watching for this immunity, too. Like, will there be some immunity from the university, given to the universities, given, you know, like if you if you have to switch online, you're not going to get sued by students because I've seen a lot of lawsuits in the last couple days of students saying, I don't have the full experience of campus um, because, you know, campus is so much more than just online. When I, when I enrolled and paid my $50,000 a year for Drexler or whatever, I could go to all of these additional events, which have been closed. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Now, so Chuck, you made it, when did you come to university of Pittsburgh? Because that that wasn't too long ago. You made that uh, career that that alteration in your career path to to go the U of Pitt. Tell me, I guess how how that happened. So a little bit too in putting the background. Of this, you know, you know, Chuck is someone who who always looks to improve his himself and then his opportunities. Is very much um, inventorying the opportunities before him, which we talk about in School of Errors, right? Inventory your options, and Chuck does that. And you know, he he, he took this job at University of Pittsburgh. Um, which right now puts him in high demand. It will, he'll always be in high demand. Like, but um, tell me about that decision-making process for you also when you, what you were doing before, why you went to University of Pittsburgh, why it was a great decision to do that. Uh, it's been 21 months. That, that time wow. has elapsed. 21 wow. months, yeah. Um, no, an opportunity presented itself before my U.S. Steel job. Um, I, I did just a, you know, a few months temp work with them, and, and and after that assignment ended, you know, I was back looking. For, I always kept in touch with those guys. Um, they liked the work I did, and they said, "Hey, keep in touch." Uh, one of my old bosses, when I got the 
still job. He was like, hey, get this up, and then uh, when you're ready, come on back. And it, it, timing, and it, it finally happened. You know, if something interests me, I'd throw a line to them and say, hey, put a word in for me for it. And I did it one time in, oh, this is, a, this is quick. So uh, I started in August of what, 2018. And July 2018, something interests me, and they say, hey, hold on, come in for something else. And so I did, and, you know, I started in, in August. Uh, I liked when I worked there initially. I, yeah, I got. I just got a great impression. It was yeah. a good. It was. It was fun to work at. You're on a college campus, dude. You know. Right. right. Yeah, you're on a college campuses. You're you know working for a you know top fifth in the country. I yeah. mean, there's prestige to that. And it and it and it was doing the work I was doing at U.S. Steel. You know, same same thing. Take care of uh, take care of people's computers. You know, try to troubleshoot, replace, repair. And it, it was just a better environment. And it, it, it's just one of those things that, you know, was the result of me laying a foundation I didn't know I had at the time. I was like, all right, great. You know, this is, you know, I, you know at least I have work for a few months. <laughs> and it turned into within, oh, within probably 18 months, you know, from the time I quit that temp. That's, you know, still has been a time that I have been at, uh, yeah, you see, and and I don't know. Maybe I'm a special case, but uh, it's a case of you know, burn down the right bridges. All right, <laughs> um, right. Um, if if there's if there's a job you're not satisfied with, and you know it's the people and you want to anticipate going going back, unless you really really have to. The times are changing. You might have to uh, kind of not. You know, set you know, gasoline on a bridge on fire. Right. Um, but um, I just but if you do, you like where you were, and and even if it's something temporary. I remember the first, I don't know, half dozen years coming out of school. It was all contract work. I couldn't find any full time, so I took contracts and contracts. And you know, you're gonna find something you like. Um, go to 1099 route at first. Although right. it could be dangerous, they can they can terminate you at any time. I've had a contract that was on terminated. That was a young kid back then with a week left to go on the contract. Oh yeah. man, okay. Yes, but I mean, I go that route. You know, that's that's how I managed to find a spot I'm in, and I'm going to be here for quite a while. I don't anticipate me moving at all. Um, and I'm lucky I'm in a medical fit, which is going to be in, in high demand until. Oh yeah. This is a wrap. Um, you got it. And having to, you know, work critical computers and, you know, anything in that realm goes down, up, you know, you know, it, 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 it affects, you know, patients. It affects, you know, doctors and nurses. So it's good to have that. It's good to have that. I don't want to say safety blanket, but knowing oh, that, right. you know, I'm going to be needed really helps out. So combination of those those two factors you know finding where you want to go and finding reasons to stay where you're at yeah no chuck that makes that makes uh, total sense and i think you're reading the tea leaves completely accurate on uh medical i would anticipate anything for the next three to five years that is medical related is going to get a lot of attention uh not only from funding um from you know legislators but but uh, you know, we're going to have university programs re recrafting. Um, so we're going to have more nurses, nurse practitioners, doctors, you know, so forth coming out. 
it's this thing called the Overton window, right? So the Overton window means uh, what will be accepted for policy and legislation at a certain time. And right now, because of the coronavirus, you know, will we have, uh, you know, more funding for universities to train doctors and nurses? Yes, absolutely. Will we have more funding for hospitals to do telemedicine, um, to, to be more robust in those type of things? Absolutely. Like anybody campaigning on those as a legislator, home run right there with Overton window. So you're definitely in the right spot at the right time because one, you know, what you, you, you love what you're doing. Um, and the second part is you're doing it in an industry, which is going to be front and center, um, in the near and foreseeable future for funding. Even if we hit a recession, which I guess we're probably in and a possible depression, even if we hit that, you're still in demand and you're, you're probably more in demand as we move more into telemedicine and so forth. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm really happy for you. You've, you've made the right decisions, you've looked at what's presented itself to you. So Chuck, anything about how people, if they want to learn more about you or anything that you do that you want to share, any social media accounts? Um, no, I don't have social media. <laughs> uh, I, I've been off social media for a while. Um, uh, I'll comment and super chat in certain places, and I'm sure you'll find me there. I'll throw my two cents in if I want to give someone some cash. But outside of that, uh, yeah, I have nothing for you guys. I've, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I'm like that. Type. I'm uh, I'm not on Facebook, and and people are always like pushing me. You know, you should be on Facebook. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good, and I'm pretty active on Twitter. It's like my one, and it, I got on LinkedIn like a year ago, and and I found that to be pretty useless. <laughs> I mean, it's a professional profile which I don't really need because I'm retired, but. Um, but yeah, the only thing from LinkedIn is every like, you know, a couple of weeks, somebody from LinkedIn is like, hey, do you want to see people who are viewing your profile? I'm like, no, I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to pay you $7 a month to see this. It means nothing to me. Right. But, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, that's a good point. So to, to kind of wrap this up, um, it's Chuck Mack from Pittsburgh um, giving us IT insight from the University of Pittsburgh Medical. Chuck's been on the show before. You can find that in the archives on the Safety Doc podcast. Uh, we walked through what it was like in early March when this whole cascade effect of bad news happened with the coronavirus event. What that looked like for Chuck, he was on a um, very critical role of scaling up the University of Pittsburgh Medical um, in, in capacity for, you know, potentially more patients, potentially in real reality of more people working from home, telecommuting, um, telemedicine, what that looked like, uh, some advice, you know, that, that, you know, we, we talked about Chuck gave insight on your locus of control, what he has control over, what he focuses on, what's in the background for him. So it's been really, really a great conversation. Chuck is one of my member checks. And for those of you who haven't followed my work, don't know the member check stuff. I wrote about it in my book, but member checks are people that you can go to all around the country, all around the world who are going to give you authentic feedback of what's happening in their environment. And they're also going to give you authentic feedback of saying, yeah, Dave, whatever you're saying, I don't agree with it or I agree with it, or maybe you want to look at it in a different way. So when this was happening in its, its kind of most intense moments in March, Chuck and I would communicate on mostly a daily basis and he would give me updates on what he is seeing, what he's observing, such as, you know, the university has shut down. People aren't out in the streets. Here's a photo of the street by the university, which is usually bustling and nobody is there right now. 
that I can trust. I can trust Chuck. I can trust that authenticity. So everybody listening, do that in your own environment. If you haven't done it already, face validity, find those people out there who will observe things in their environment and say, I observed, because that's much more powerful than say, I think. Well, I think this is going on. I think this is going on. I heard this on the news. I think whatever. No, get out there and be an I observed person. And I have a lot of respect for Chuck. Chuck is someone who, um, is, you know, very determined, knows his skill set, expands his skill set, takes the opportunities before him. Um, so, yeah, just a value-added person um, for the show and as a friend, uh, Chuck Max. So, Chuck, anything else here for the Safety Doc podcast? Well, thanks for having me. Uh, this this one went a lot smoother than uh, our first round. That was the first time I'd, I've been interviewed for anything, by the way. Really? Okay. In, in terms of something. Yes. So, yeah. So, I learned I learned a little more, and and we, we, we covered a lot of ground here. And, well, this is a kind of a situation where there's a lot of moving parts, and there's a lot of things going on, and things have yet to be seen, and at least I was able to help you guys, you know, see what I've seen on the ground. And I know I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a unique case, but again, I've always just, I can only do what I can do. And again, thanks again for letting me share that with you. Uh, it's always appreciated. Awesome. Well, everybody, this is Chuck Mack as a guest on the Safety Doc Podcast. The Safety Doc Podcast aired on the 405 Media out of Los Angeles, California. John Grant and the 405 Media, the League of Extraordinary Podcasters, Los Angeles, California. Check it out. But, yeah, this is our good friend, uh, Chuck Mack. So um, thank you, everybody. This is episode 133 of the Safety Doc Podcast, always rendered in video, in audio, and then a corresponding blog post, 133 episodes, 150 hours of professionally produced content, school community safety, the best in the bazaar, making you better. Check it out here. Thank you so much. What is my purpose? You pass butter. Oh my God. Yeah, welcome to the club, pal. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.